Russia's invasion of Ukraine grinds on. What's it got to do with the Middle East? Why should you care? But it turns out this war is messing with people's bread in the region. Hello guys, I'm Sami Zaydan. Welcome to Essential Middle East Podcast. A Russia's invasion of Ukraine also stoking fears of a drastic increase in food costs. The two countries are key suppliers of grains and edible oils, and the crisis has already driven wheat prices to their highest in 10 years. The war in Ukraine has led major players in the global supply chain to become isolated and disrupted. It's caused some major ripple effects in the rest of the world that go beyond just gas prices. So let's bring our guest in now and discuss the war's impact on wheat and grain supplies to the Middle East. Patrick. Hello, I'm Patrick Mardini. I'm the CEO of LIMS, a platform for research, collaboration and innovation in public policy. And I'm joining you from Lebanon. Great to have you with us, Patrick. So... Since Russia invaded Ukraine, as we all know, in February, global prices of wheat, barley, corn and so on, they're all up, aren't they? Just explain to listeners, how is the war pushing up grain prices? Of course, so Russia and Ukraine accounted for more than one-fourth of the global wheat export. Ukraine is the bread busted of Europe specifically. And now that there's a war, is disrupting their ability to export? Yes, so it's mostly a supply chain problem in the sense that most of the Ukrainian exports go through the Black Sea and the Azov Sea, the Sea of Azov. So they're ports of Mariupol and Odessa. And those ports are blocked because of the war, so they cannot get their wheat out there. Right, and not everyone may know, but the main customers for their grain are Middle Eastern countries, countries in the Middle East and North Africa. Egypt, for example, 85% of their grain was coming from the two countries. 50% of what uh, Ukraine exports actually go to the Middle East. And as you said, countries like Egypt... Wow, that's a big number. Yeah, Egypt, as you said, 80% from Ukraine. Lebanon, same thing, like 60% comes from Ukraine, 20% from Russia. So we highly depend on the wheat produced in that area. So a lot of vulnerability. In fact, Ukraine's president and the UN are warning of a looming famine. Millions of people may starve if Russia's blockade of the Black Sea continues. The United Nations says the war in Ukraine could worsen a global food crisis leading to mass hunger and famine lasting for years. So they're talking about famine. How bad is it for Middle Eastern countries in particular? Well, it is bad because countries who are at risk of famine weak countries, I would say, usually they rely on the World Food Programme. And 40% of the wheat used by the World Food Programme comes from Ukraine, right? So based on their estimation, hunger may rise by 47 million person if the war continues. Now, Middle East will be impacted. Continues how long? What's the timeline before we hit this famine doomsday scenario? Well, we have two separate items. First thing is the supply chain problem. Will the port continue to be blocked or will they reopen? And it seems that there are negotiations to reopening them on one hand. But on the other hand, if the war goes longer, it might endanger the upcoming harvest season over there. 
and if the harvest season is endangered, then we will have a more lasting problem. It won't be anymore a supply chain problem. It will be a supply problem. It'll be a production problem because you can't ship what you haven't grown, basically. Absolutely. Tell us which countries might be the worst affected in the Middle East and North Africa. I guess the most vulnerable countries might be the poor countries. I'm thinking about Libya, Syria, Yemen, probably Lebanon. We've seen some demonstrations happening in Iraq and Sudan, protesting the rise of prices. You know, prices have risen by 50% over there. Last time, we had high food prices in the region. We ended up with the Arab Spring. It was in 2011. So things are boiling. Let's see where it will get us. Yeah, and that was in 2011. Now, many of those countries, if not all of them that you mentioned, are already suffering from political instability or violence or conflict in some sort. Worrying scenario. Here's what the UN's crisis coordinator for Ukraine, Amin Awad, had to say. The Ukrainian grain is used or imported by about 20 plus countries. Some of them are in Asia and a lot of them are in Africa. Usually those are middle income and low income countries because the grain from this part of the world is affordable. However, as time passes by and there is no food and there is inflation and increase of prices of fuel, insurance for ships coming out of this part of the world, even the prices of the Ukrainian food may go up. So, Patrick, amid all the gloom and doom, there does seem to be some good news. There have been talks to export Ukrainian grain on Turkish cargo ships, right? Are you optimistic? I mean, it can be a solution or the beginning of a solution. Other alternatives have been like trucking the wheat to neighboring countries and then re-exporting them. But the truck solution is very bad. I mean, technically, it's very complicated. The roads are too narrow and the trucks won't be enough. So the Turkish solution is way better, but then it will be affected by geopolitical instabilities. I mean, one day it will work, the other day they would close probably the ports again. So it's not a stable and reliable solution yet. We need to wait and see how it develops. So how far is this going to go to ease those prices and the fears, frankly? I mean, definitely when you release existing harvest and you start sending it where it should go, it will reduce a lot of the tension. But again, you need to have a reliable outlook on where we are going. I mean, is this a reliable solution? Will it happen? Will it continue? Would it be the system from now on? Or it will be transitory and then we will go back to disruption? It's still unclear. We need more clarity to be able to determine if it can solve the problem, at least partially, or no, it's just, you know, not very effective. So time will tell how stable this might be. What about sanctions on Russia? I wonder if they've contributed to the crisis. Now, I know sanctions don't target the food trade specifically, but they do impact things like shipping and insurance costs, right? Indeed, uh, Russia is a main exporter of wheat as well. But as you said, even other countries, like, I mean, in the Middle East is looking for alternative destination to import wheat probably from the U.S. or Latin America, Argentina, or even India. I mean, we're looking for other alternatives. But then again, as you said, with the higher prices of fuel, of insurance cost, of transportation, especially now on the higher price of fuel, you will have higher prices of transportation. And then if you look at the impact of those sanctions on Russia specifically, where Russia is highly profiting from the increase in oil prices worldwide. So I think that 
at the end, I don't think that the war is negatively affecting Russia for now, despite the sanction, because they have been able to profit from the increase in uh, energy prices since they are a major exporter as well. So they can afford to go on fighting. Meanwhile, the war drags on and the poorest people perhaps in the Middle East are going to feel some of that pain, yeah? I want to bring it home. You're in Beirut. We've seen videos of long queues of people lined up, tensions. Is there already a bread crisis in places like Lebanon? So Lebanon has a very special case because the country has already been going through a crisis, a banking crisis. People are unable to withdraw their money from the banks. Currency lost more than 95% of its value against the dollar. So people purchasing power have been massively impaired. They can barely buy actual food. And in addition to that, we had the Beirut port explosion, if you remember. Now, uh, we used to store in the port, there had been a major silo. And in the silo, we used to store like four months of food reserves. Now we don't have this ability anymore. So we are relying on smaller storage units in bakeries and mills, but you can only store there like one month of reserve, which makes it risky on this level. But I think that the most serious problem related to the shortage of bread is actually price setting imposed by the Ministry of Economy. And this situation is not only relevant to Lebanon, it is also relevant to other countries in the MENA region, right? Countries where the government decides the price of bread will have a problem because if the cost of basically buying the wheat becomes higher than the selling price of the bread, the budget gets busted, basically. The government has to cover the difference. Exactly. And in a country like Lebanon, already going through a crisis, the government does not have the money on one hand. And they are afraid to raise uh, the price of bread on the other hand. So what will they do? Well, I think the populist thing to do is to leave things as they are, not cover the cost and keep the prices low. This kind of attitude would lead to a shortage in bread. So any shortage in bread that happens in any country in the Middle East will be due to the government's inability or fear of raising bread prices. So it will be the government mistake. We will have higher prices of bread. That's for sure. Prices are increasing. The price of wheat actually doubled since the beginning of 2021. So it's normal that the price of bread increase if government don't allow the price to increase. And we've already seen, sorry to jump in, but we've already seen prices go up in MENA countries, right? That's already happening, I think, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia. Right, absolutely. And that's how you basically avoid shortages long use and lack of bread. You need to allow prices to go up, but then the pressure is political. Will the population accept an increased price of bread? That's the real challenge that government needs to weigh and balance. I was looking up some of the numbers on foreign reserves, and I think in the case of Lebanon, the latest statement I got from the central bank governor was reserves have dropped to around 11 billion US dollars. In the case of Yemen, it's said to be, in a World Bank report, as low as the equivalent of one month of imports. That's not a lot of margin to play with, is it? At all, especially that the prices of wheat are increasing. So basically the bill is now bigger than before. Uh, Lebanon, uh, the reserves in Lebanon have melted down from more than 40 billion 
to today around 11 billion within two years of time. So you can imagine how quickly reserves are vanishing. And yes, I mean, if the war continues for like a year or two, I mean, it does not need to go two years, but like for an additional year, I think we will start seeing troubles in the Middle East. Some countries, chiefly in Africa and the Middle East, will be hit hard. Egypt has been receiving a quarter of its wheat from Ukraine, Libya almost half, and Lebanon more than 60%. And taking a chunk out of the world's supply means prices have soared since the invasion, affecting every corner of the globe. So governments in MENA region must be worried right now, right? Because bread prices have been linked to unrest in the past. At least they've been blamed on bread prices, at least. Absolutely. That's why, for example, countries like Lebanon or Egypt have a food subsidy program. But then, you know, the hope is that you also have those oil exporting nations who are today in a better position. I mean, they do have a problem with the shortage of bread because, you know, if, if I think about the GCC countries, around 90% of the food they consume is exported. But again, since given the increase in oil and gas prices, they will have better fiscal balance, more space to spend. And usually those countries help the other countries in the MENA region, they try to support them in order to avoid social unrest over there. So solidarity between the countries of the region might provide some solutions if it happens. How much of a reserve do some of these countries, especially the vulnerable ones like Lebanon and Egypt, have now of some of the key grains? I think I read a figure for Egypt where officials are saying, hey, we've now got enough for the end of the year. I mean, countries like Yemen, for example, I mean, they need money to be able to purchase their wheat. And that's where World Food Program comes in. Countries like Lebanon and Egypt, again, they need to decide how much of their reserves will be used to importing, basically, wheat, and how much of the reserves should go to other uses, especially to, for example, stabilize the currency, limit the large volatility. As you probably know, we have seen some devaluations in the currency in the past month, and this mechanism might continue, and it can be only limited through injecting more dollars, so through basically wasting more reserves. So there are choices to be made. The governments need to decide where they will use their reserves. But again, some countries like Egypt can rely on their friends in the GCC, for example, for special assistance. And it has been done in the past months. Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, sent some support to Egypt that will help them weather this kind of crisis. Lebanon, on the other hand, has a totally different situation because no one in the international community trusts Lebanese decision-makers anymore. So they are reluctant to send money because they are not sure that the money will actually reach the population. You mentioned Egypt there. Egypt, of course, is one of the world's biggest, if not the biggest, importer of wheat. Egypt consumes 18 million tons of wheat annually. More than half of it are imported. 90% of wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. Looking at it from a sort of market supply and demand perspective, you've got to ask, hey, why can't the market make up for the shortfall of supply from Russia and Ukraine? Can't other countries step in and increase supplies if the demand is still strong and out there? The supply will definitely increase, but it needs time to happen. So the problem is time, and that's exactly what some of these vulnerable countries don't have. 
on the short run, the market will regulate itself through an increase in prices. And then the increase in prices will drive new producers into the market. But then the time they go in and start doing what they should be doing, it might take a couple of years. And Egypt, for example, if you take Egypt, the government already allocated 25,000 acres of new land for wheat cultivation. Next year, they plan to add another 500,000 acres. They started providing farmers with seeds. Many countries started doing ban on export and trying to enhance their local production of wheat. So basically, there is a rise in supply, but, you know, it needs time. It makes you wonder, why didn't these Middle Eastern countries grow some of their own wheat in the first place? It was way cheaper, and it might still be cheaper, by the way. So, for example, if you take Egypt, right, wheat is planted in the Delta Valley, which is very fertile land. But now new lands allocated to new production of wheat are actually in the desert. And in the desert, the soil is dry, is salinated. You'd need more fertilizers, so you would need high cost for it. We are uncertain about the outcome. You need to invest a lot in biotechnology to make sure that lands over there produce the output. Same thing in Lebanon. In Lebanon, we import most of our needs. If you want to do it locally, well, first, we, we are not sure if the lands are fertile enough to do that. But second, and more importantly, I'm not sure we have the know-how. And in order to do that, you would need clean water and electricity for irrigation. And in Lebanon, we do have a problem with water and with electricity. So good luck in growing them. Oh, my goodness. It's like a double or triple whammy. Exactly. So you have those structural problems that would prevent you from growing them locally, even if you have the intention. Countries are announcing the idea of increasing their own local production. If the fertilizer and potash, especially from Russia and Belarus, is being sanctioned, well, is this plan going to work? I don't believe that the government is able to make an accurate assessment on this level. I think it should go back to the farmers and the entrepreneurs themselves. Farmers know their lands. They know if they can or cannot buy fertilizers if they are available. And every farmer on his specific level will be able to assess if he can increase production in order to profit from the higher prices or no, it will be like impossible or very expensive for him. If the governments try to take the initiative here and try to basically impose those things, I think it will backfire. And there's the other variable we have to keep in mind, Patrick, which is meanwhile, as you mentioned, oil prices, energy prices are going up. Yes, and I mean, oil does not only affect transportation, it also affects electricity. And in Lebanon, we started seeing electricity shortages now because electricity are, in Lebanon is mainly produced by small-scale diesel generators. And with the higher oil prices, well, basically those generators don't have enough fuel or they prefer not to produce 24 hours of electricity because they know that their clients won't be able to pay the bill. So they resort to basically shortages and outages. And with higher prices of electricity, you will have everything will become expensive refrigerating those products agricultural products and higher prices of electricity means higher inflation in general i like to be an optimist but little escape from high grain wheat and generally food prices going forward true and i think that government should loosen it up a little bit in the sense that 
The best response they can do is to reduce all those restrictions they currently impose on their local economies in order to allow their local economies to adjust, right? So reduce restrictions on farmers to let them be able to plant wherever they see fit. And by whatever they see fit, given the rise in the prices, I think that would be the best response the government can bring. And of course, you need to take care of the poor. Try to focus, refocus, I mean, or get out of this subsidy program, this general scale like bread subsidy program or food subsidy program, where you make the food cheaper for everyone, for the rich and for the poor. Better alternative to that would be to target the help to the needy population by giving them cash instead of subsidizing prices. This system would be much more efficient. It will reduce the burden on the government. And we will be sure that money is reaching the people who actually need support. I like to try and end on a positive note because it is quite a serious subject, isn't it? Do you think maybe one of the pluses of this whole crisis and situation, maybe it forces countries to completely rethink some of the economic models that you were talking about, whether it's domestic production or monopolies on energy production? True, and we've started to see it in some countries with the solar energy, for example. Countries now, given the high the increases in oil prices, started to rely more on or decided to rely more on renewable energies. In the Middle East, I mean, in Lebanon, we have 300 days of sun per year. It can produce a lot of energy, but even in other Middle Eastern countries, you have even more sun, right? Absolutely. One thing we're not short of, sunshine. Exactly. And if we can use it to produce our own energy, at least this type of energy would not be exposed to shocks related to oil and gas prices. That might be an interesting opportunity coming out from the current crisis. Well, thanks for pointing that out. Let's end on that optimistic note. Let's hope indeed. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's been great talking to you. Pleasure is all mine. And thanks to our listeners too for joining us. Today's episode was produced by Hayat Mongodan and Khaled Sultan. Sound design was by George Elwir. Our executive producer, of course, is our big boss, Omar Saleh. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Hope you can join us again next week. <laughs>